0: Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Recap Podcast. On the podcast with me today is Patrick. Hey. And I am Preston, and we're going to uh, lead into our new conversation about our our series that we just started at NLCC here in just a moment. But before we get to that, I want to let you know, if you are uh, a woman that's interested in getting involved with the women's ministry at NLCC, they're doing a ton right now. There's a class that's currently taking place on Tuesday nights, um, and if you want to get plugged into that, you can go to northliberty.cc go to that next steps page and hit the classes button at the bottom of that page. And you can get plugged into the, the women's ministry class. They also are doing a hike every other, or the first Saturday of every month, second Saturday, of every second month. Saturday of yeah. every month starting. Uh, so it'd be this upcoming Saturday. If you're watching yep. this the week that it, it is released. Um, so if you want to get plugged into those, please visit our website and uh, find out how you can get plugged into those women's ministry uh, activities. Now let's dive into our conversation about, the sermon from this week we started a new series called being jesus in the 21st century well this whole the series at least now the, or the, the the message that we listen to this week is about what it looks like to represent jesus in every day so patrick what do you think how could you summarize what you think it looks like to represent jesus well i'm sure you know this but like when we were growing up 90s kids there was a real popular phrase called what would jesus do Uh, WWJG, baby (laughs) wwj all day yeah (laughs) so really i think this this sermon series that that really sums it up is like what would jesus do Mm -hmm. um and i think there's examples in the Bible constantly of Jesus, what he would do is he would love mm. and he would love the people that are around him. Yeah. Uh, even the people in the culture of the time that were unloved by society. Mm-hmm. And um, just, Tim gets into that. What loving the unloved in this message. Today. Yeah. And, and it's just, there's examples of that throughout the entire, um, gospel. So if the answer is then what would Jesus do is, is to love mm-hmm. Preston, what do you think that looks like uh, in modern day? hmm Yeah. I, I read a book a couple years ago that kind of um, it it really forces me to think. I think about this book all the time. It, it almost haunts me in my, in my thoughts sometimes. <laughs> it's by Bob, Bob Goff. Uh, it's called Everybody Always. And um, the whole book is great. But one of the things that he challenged uh, the reader in the book is loving others like Jesus means constantly asking yourself the question, how can I love the person who is in front of me right now? Mm -hmm. So if you're at McDonald's ordering food, you're asking the question, how can I love the person taking my order? Sure. If you're talking to a stranger that you just met at a a gathering or something, then you're asking the question, how can I love the person who's in front of me right now? If you're having really bad work issues with a coworker that is really unlovable in your eyes, you're still asking the question, how can I love this person who's in front of me right now? Mm and it's just constantly asking that question how can i love the person who is in front of me right now and that is a question that haunts me but has changed the way that i interact with people sure sometimes for me the answer is how can i love this person i mean it's a simple interaction like someone taking your order a waiter or a waitress taking your order loving the person means showing them that they are valuable so i learn your name mm-hmm. and i talk to you with respect and like you know i like a human and like i care about you Um, really simple interaction that, you know, maybe it doesn't necessarily 100% say like, I'm a Christian and (laughs) um, show my WWJD bracelet (laughs) or anything, (laughs) but I'm still showing respect and the love that Jesus would show those kinds of people. Well, let's go ahead and listen into this sermon uh, on being Jesus in the 21st century from Tim.
1: There was a time in church history that Christians were strong believers that the church would, advanced throughout the world without any disruption or being contested in any way. But if you were to look into what has been happening in our world today, the spread of communism and Marxism, the rise of Eastern religions and uh, secular humanism, in many ways those things have slowed down uh, the spread of Jesus Christ, people coming to Christ uh, but that, that's why those of us who call ourselves uh, followers of Jesus Christ need to be intentional about following the example of Jesus and how he treated people in life and in and, 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 and our lives and as, as ambassadors for him. And so I'm praying that as we take a look into Jesus' life the next couple of weeks here, we would do our best in the 21st century to become the true lights of this world. Now, on the day of his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, uh, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so, the main reason that Jesus came to earth is, in his own words, were to serve and to give his ransom or his life as a ransom to many in Matthew 20. And for us to want to be part of that, we must follow uh, him in his example of service uh, and his heart for people. He is not only the one who makes things possible for us but also our example in all that he has asked us to do. Because Jesus is not gonna ask us to do something that he has not already done himself. When my dad decided I was old enough to start uh, mowing and trimming the grass, he, he brought me alongside and showed me how to do it. And my first experience was with one of those lawnmowers that did not have an engine, okay? They had the two wheels and you had that roller in the back and and the blades that just kind of, you know, ran together. And And I couldn't reach the top of it and mow at the same time, so I had to get down in the middle of that handle and grab hold of that. And then the bar that went across those open blades. And it was kind of scary because my hand was down there and one slip, uh, my hand would go into the blades or my face, this Rembrandt might be messed up because of the, bl- the, the blades there. But, but he stayed with me every Saturday until I got a hang of it. And it wasn't too long that on a Saturdays, my dad would wake up and say, son, don't forget to cut the grass today. And and the more I did it, the easier it got. And I like being outside doing something for my dad. But he showed me how he stayed with me until I got the hang of it. And he blessed me at that time with fifty cents for mowing the lawn. That was a lot of money back in the sixties and early seventies. Uh, and then and I look back on those moments with my dad, and I miss them. We grew closer together as father and son. They only uh, that that was only possible because my dad took the time to teach me. Because most fathers, most dads, you know, they aren't patient enough to to teach their kids anything. But my dad took the time and showed me the way here, and that's precisely what Jesus has done in our lives. He has shown us the way on how to to treat other people and to minister and to share the gospel. And so my questions here at the start is, how did Jesus go about uh, his calling and serving people and drawing them to himself? What was his attitude like? Did he, did he enjoy uh, talking or taking the time to teach those who would follow him? Did he, uh, did he approach everyone the same way? Was, was he nastier and patient and judgmental when somebody just couldn't get it? When, what, what can we learn from the life of Christ that will make our call as Christians more attracted to those to whom God has put in our lives? You see, when we're around people, we we take notice of how they react and how they treat other people. And we think, well, you know, I I didn't like his attitude, you know, with a person who's being mean or bossy. Or, you know, I really enjoyed being around her. She was respectful and she was pleasant, is what we would think of somebody who is kind. And so our attitude about people, our situations, reveal our way of thinking about others and and ourselves. Those who are shy and self-conscious and self-righteous and the perfectionist and the impatient and the arrogant are telling something about themselves before they even utter one word from their mouth. Now those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, our effectiveness in sharing the gospel of Christ can be seriously impacted negatively or positively by how we treat other people. And since this is so important for advancing the good news of Christ, maybe we should be taking a good look at Jesus and see the evidence and how he lived out his life around other people. And so when you look at Jesus and how he interacted with people, he was always confident. Why? Because he knew that God has called him to do this. He knew God was the one who sent him. In Luke chapter 4, it says that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that he was armed with the power of the Spirit of God. In his hometown of Nazareth, he had his first opportunity to speak in, in the synagogues. And the message he read was from Isaiah 61. And this is what he read The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent, or he has anointed me. He has sent me to announce the good news to the poor. And it's at this time, you know, he rolled up the scroll, he handed it to the attendant, he sat back down, and the people that were around him recognized, oh my gosh, that is Joseph's son. But he didn't stop there. He continued to teach, and he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the text that I just read from the prophet Isaiah, you're hearing it right now. It's coming true before your eyes. And then right after this, Jesus goes into Capernaum, and the people there want to keep him. They kind of want to make the, him their own possession. They didn't want him to leave. And Jesus says, no, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns as well, because that is what I was sent to do if you read through the gospels you're gonna notice that Jesus used a particular word all the time and it's the word sent. And it's like he wanted people to, to be aware, to know that someone greater than himself had sent him, given him this calling, this ministry. And just because Jesus was sent by God, it doesn't mean that you uh, and I, or it doesn't apply to us because it does. This being sent uh, apart applies to all Christians. And John tells us that Jesus directly connected uh, Jesus sending him out with the same way that Jesus sent out his disciples. And if you remember Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, he said this, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And he's having his prayer with God here. And he uh, he said to the disciples after his resurrection in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And the church has been sent out by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, we have this great commission that Jesus gave the apostles, the disciples, which is clear instruction that was supposed to be handed down to the church. I have sent them into the world applies to all of us. And he uses his words very carefully here because he says that he sent us into the world. He didn't send us back into the church. He sent us into the world. Many within the church think that you know, being sent doesn't apply uh, to them because you know, they're not paid staff, but that, can, that we can stay in our safe places you know, within the church setting that we don't have to go out into all the world and make disciples. That is not true. Uh, the, the Great Commission is for the entire church of all generations because the world, the, word belongs, uh, the world belongs to God, and he is the one who sent us into it, not out of it. In that same prayer, Jesus goes on to say, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And so while Jesus is praying this, that God would use us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's also praying that God would protect us while we're doing the ministry of God. And so if you think that you have no part in being sent by God, you need to think again. Because all Christians, like Jesus, should be sure of our calling and confident that God will be with us every step of the way. Jesus was not at all intimidated by the world's hatred of him, and neither should we. We have been sent into the world uh, to make disciples of all nations, and we don't do that with an attitude of self-righteousness or arrogance. We do that with our confidence in God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. And, And if we have those three in our lives, who then do we have to fear in this world? Nobody. Another characteristic of Jesus is that he loved people from the depth of his heart. Peter talked about that in his letter where he said, uh, love one another deeply from the heart. And church, if the body of Christ can't do it in here, how in God's name do we think we're going to do it out there? It's just not going to happen. His love for people was so different from any kind of love that that we would ever understand here. And I think that's why Peter and Paul and other New Testament writers took the time to explain what Christ's love actually was. And they used a word that was so different from any uh, average man's understanding of love in their day as well as in ours. And so the, the word that was uh, used here removed any thought of, uh, of love as something that was trivial or sexual. And the word that he used was agape. It was a Greek word that, was, uh, that would distinguish from any other misrepresentation of a pure, holy kind of love. It was distinctively a Christian kind of love, a love that God and Jesus Christ had put forth into the world, the example that they have set, uh, set for us. So, so Jesus loved his disciples with this constant love that pushed through the kind, uh, their lack of uh, understanding of why he was even there. They didn't get it for a long time. And he continued to demonstrate that love even when they let him down. In fact, in John 13, it says that he had, uh, he had always loved his own who were in the world. He now showed them the full extent of his love. And so in John chapter 11, we see his love for uh, one of his uh, friends outside this immediate group of his 12 apostles. And so Jesus didn't just love those that, were, you know, that he spent a lot of his time with. He loved everybody, including those that didn't matter to a whole lot of people. In fact, Lazarus was one of Jesus' close friends, though, and, and when he got sick, his sisters came to him and said, hey, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And when Jesus finally uh, got around to showing up, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and it said that he cried. And the Jewish people that were watching him, observing what was going on, said, see how he loved him. And as we move from this example of Christ's love uh, for friends, we see more loving, uh, more love being uh, given to someone, that, uh, the people that other people didn't love, people that didn't, they didn't like at all. This love came to someone who was about to reject the very call from Jesus himself, and that would be the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 10, but it says Jesus looked straight at him and loved him. And, and, and if, if we took uh, take a, a, a look at events of, of the cross when Jesus is being brutally murdered, it was there that he showed this incredible love for those who put him to death. And he cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was practicing what he preached uh, to others on the Sermon on the Mount. He was loving his enemies and praying for those who were in the midst of persecuting him under the the hardest conditions imaginable. Uh, There is nothing fake about that kind of love. The words uh, he spoke about God's love for the undeserving were from the heart. They were truthful. They were meaningful. His love had been constant uh, or had been consistent the way, you know, he lived his own life and the way he died. Christ truly loved people, even the ones that hated him, even the ones that were killing him. And most, you know, Christians feel incapable of showing uh, love for the unlovely, especially, you know, those that have hurt us in some way. And I I have been asked this, and I know other ministers have been asked this, uh, well, is it possible to really love people that we don't like, people that have hurt us? Well, apart from God, the answer would be no. But the the love that we have been talking about here is not a human kind of love. And I think we would get an idea of what what that kind of love is, is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5 where he says, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love in us, in our hearts, by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, God has given us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and through that Holy Spirit, we are able to love other people the way God loved us. And then Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter five, verse 22 with the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first fruit that he mentions? Love. So church, if we wanna be part of those sent out and have the privilege of working with God and sharing the good news, then we need to develop and discipline ourselves to having genuine love, a God's kind of love for all people. And as Jesus, only, that is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is only possible. Understand this, church. We, we need to know that there is nothing automatic about Christ-like love. It, it's, it's difficult. For some, though, it comes easy. It's, it's just a simple gift for them. For other people, it's an achievement with a lot of work. But Christ's uh, love is an act of spiritual uh, discipline as well as an act of faith. As Paul you know, said, uh, is, is one of the, fruit of the fruit of the Spirit here, but it's also a moral standard to be aiming for, to be looking that, for that we can achieve in our own lives. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 all the way through 14. And what's the greatest gift? Out of all the spiritual gifts given to mankind, what is the greatest gift given to man? Love. Another characteristic is he cared about people that didn't matter to others. I mean, you can actually learn a lot about people from their attitudes and treatment to those that are problems in our personal lives and in society. Uh, last Thursday, I had lunch, or, uh, coffee with... I didn't drink coffee, but I had some kind of tea. But uh, we, we had drinks together. I shouldn't even say that. That sounds bad. Um, <laughs> but we met... And Cedric was telling me that, that, that you know, he was in mission work for five years and he also did a pulpit ministry and did all kinds of stuff. He just felt God was calling him uh, to love on people. And so now he works with the JV Center and he takes a lot of those kids, those unwanted kids, and he puts them to work in his business building pallets to earn money so that they can feel worth in this world when nobody else wants anything to do with them. That's the kind of love that God's doing here, that he's demonstrated for us. Maybe we're all guilty at times of treating the undesirable badly you know, people despise them, they make fun of them, they ignore them, they talk about them behind their backs and minimize them, they do whatever to embarrass those kinds of people. And it's sad to hear, it's sad to watch, and it's even sad to participate in, and I'm pretty sure I've done all of that. But the love of Jesus had, uh, the, the love that Jesus had for those that no one else bothered was like nothing else. He, his care for the unwanted was just incredible. It, it, was, it was a beautiful thing about God, Why? Because we happen to be those people if we were to take an honest evaluation of ourselves and compare ourselves to Jesus and not to somebody else we think that's worse to us. And when we take a good look at ourselves compared to Jesus, it's not a pretty sight. Towards the beginning of his ministry, a leper kneels before him begging for help. And and this leper is living in a culture that nobody wants anything to do with. And I mean nobody. Not even those that were religious leaders of the day but in one, Mark 140, it says a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The most that anyone might do if they had a heart of compassion would throw out a kind word. Yeah, God bless you, be warm, be filled, and I'm on my way. Or they might throw you know, a piece of bread across the street because you don't get close to a, a leper and it's gonna collect all that dirt as it's rolling across there. But because of who Jesus is and knowing what the Father has sent him to do, Jesus did, it, did so much more. And we all know that Jesus had the power to heal, right? He could just speak the word, be healed, and that person would be healed. He could have said to that leper, standing across the street, be healed, and that man would have been healed. Jesus didn't have to touch this guy. Nobody else would have, and so he didn't have to worry about being judged because nobody else would have, you know, uh, faulted him for that. But Jesus, knowing how much it will mean to this man uh, to have this healing done through a human touch, and so Jesus got up close and personal and reaches out his hand and it says in Mark 141, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and he said, I am willing to be clean. In the, the, the Gerasene country, if you remember that particular story, you know, the part of the area where nobody wanted to go, you had this naked, crazy, you know, man who steps out from the tombs all the time, you know, trying to scare people. A man, you know, that, that nobody can control. He's shouting from the you know, vulgarities from the top of his lungs. He's, he's bleeding from all sorts of self-inflicted wounds. He is one of those undesirables that nobody can be blamed for not wanting to be around. Nobody would even go through that area because of this animal. But not so with Jesus. While others avoided with fear, Jesus faced this man and he commanded the unclean spirits in him to, to leave him. And when, then we have Jesus showing love towards a woman who was a completely different than this, this animal living in the tombs. She, she was a, a, a different type of person. She was shy, self-conscious, who felt different from anybody else around her because of this 12-year painful bleeding, embarrassing bleeding that she had to deal with. And well, this woman, you know, she heard all the wonderful stories about this rabbi Jesus and his healing powers, and so she, in fear, uh, approached Jesus, you know, wake, making her way through the crowds, brushing up against people, knowing that if she got caught, she was gonna be in a world of trouble. And then she touches the bottom of his robe, and she finds out that she didn't have to fear Jesus. He, he was warm to her. He was compassionate. He showed love. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, and be freed from your suffering. I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are other women in her, in her same condition, feeling unwanted by society, but found that Jesus was ready and willing to show that he cared. You, you, have, you have the woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee. You know, she was unwanted because of her reputation in town. She was a prostitute. Everybody knew it. Sometimes you wonder, how did they know it? Well, the woman at the well drawing water at a time when all the other women would stay away because they didn't want to be around this this particular woman who had been married five times and living with another guy. The woman found in the act of adultery in John 8, while in front of Jesus and her accusers, she soon found herself alone with Jesus because those who tried to convict her and stone her, well, Jesus reminded them of their own sin. In other words, he says, take the plank out of your eye before you try to take the speck out of hers, and they all walked away. Jesus was the only person present who had a moral right to condemn her, but he chose to protect her from her accusers. Mary Magdalene, who was a possessed by seven demons, probably was the most feared woman in town, and yet Jesus had time for her. He had time for everyone. And what about the tax collectors? You know, the scriptures talk about Matthew and Zacchaeus. They skimmed a lot of tax money uh, from the Jewish people to make, you know, to to live this lifestyle of the rich and not so famous. You know, these tax collectors were a hated group of people because they collected a tax from the Jewish people to give to their Roman oppressors. Nobody wanted to be around these guys, but Jesus did. Why? Because part of his ministry was to bring healing to the sick and dying, to bring hope uh, to the lost and unwanted. And that's what he did. And that's what he called the church to do. Anyone who has ever felt unwanted becomes so used to that 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 when somebody finally picks them on their their team and show any kind of kindness, they they become suspicious. Why are they picking me on their team this time? I mean, why are they being kind? Are are they gonna embarrass me? What's going on here? And they they start to panic. You see, growing up, we had this kid uh, that nobody wanted on their team. And and I'm not gonna say his name because sometimes he listens but he was always the last one to be picked, and sometimes he was asked to leave. Well, we didn't want him on our teams. And if it was an odd number, we, we sent him home. We actually sent him home, and, and I can look back and, and visually see how he felt. The look on his face, it was horrible. It's horrible for me to look back on those moments. And many times when he was picked, it was only to embarrass the kid. And that was child's play. That was kid stuff. That was junior high or elementary boy stuff compared to what happens within the church today. And sometimes when, we, when they are picked or, or helped, they are, they are so excited that anyone e- would even care. They go overboard with you know, these slobbering thank yous and it's almost embarrassing. But many times those individuals are so in need of love and acceptance that their hearts are so wide open to the message of Jesus Christ and, and what he has to offer because they are so lonely. And so any good-hearted person who understands what the love of God is all about, we need to be sharing that beautiful love of God to those individuals always. Another characteristic of Jesus is he didn't enjoy condemning people. You think about that for a moment. He didn't enjoy condemning people. The son of the living God did not enjoy condemning people. It's, it is the complete opposite of how the religious leaders of Jesus' day interacted with people or, or lack of interacting. with. They didn't want anything to do with these kind of people. And it's the same in our Christian culture today. We are so quick to judge, so quick to condemn. I mean, there are people who actually have master's degrees in this kind of stuff. I mean, anyone who would do anything that we disagree with, scripturally or not, we we do all that we can to avoid them. And and the best way to teach them a lesson is not to have any kind of relationship with them at all. I'll teach them. The distinction between the conduct of the Pharisees and the the attitude of Jesus is clearly evident in two of the encounters that I mentioned earlier here. Uh, when, when Jesus was being ent- entertained by Simon the Pharisee, this adulterous woman, she came in and sat down at Jesus' feet and she starts crying all over his feet and she's cleaning her feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair and she's kissing his feet all because she had been forgiven much. She understood her position with God, that she was only there because of his love and grace. Simon and his buddies, though, you know, they're, they're drawing these conclusions. If Jesus allowed her to do this to him, then it was because he didn't know that she was a sinner. And if he didn't know that she was a sinner, then he must not be a prophet. Luke chapter 7, it says, if this man was a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. How can he be around her? If you remember last week, I asked that question, how many of you were in this room or outside watching? How many of you are without sin? The same conclusion in John chapter eight when the woman is caught in the act of adultery and brought before Jesus. You see, the moral anger of Jesus was not directed against the woman who had uh, committed adultery here, uh, but against the gatekeepers of the law. The Pharisees who were, who, who were you know, using her in an attempt to trap Jesus into saying one or two things. Either we should be stoned, or she should be stoned, which would have put him at odds with the Roman authorities, or she should be stoned, which would put him at odds with the Jewish authorities. And Jesus' answer shut them all up. They were so stunned that they couldn't say anything. And if you remember, very familiar passage to all of us, if any one of you is without sin, let him what? Cast the first stone. But isn't that how it usually works? You you just need one person to stir others up and, and to throw that first stone, and then the others are so brave and arrogant that they just begin to pile on because somebody started. But in this situation, they each dropped their stones and walked away with their tail between their legs. And Jesus then asked the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And I don't know if there was a little pause there. She had to collect herself, you know, trying to regain her, her, her breath, you know, after she's crying and embarrassed. And she says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. The very one who had the authority to condemn her didn't. And as you read through the life of Christ and how he dealt with sin, you will never find him taking sin lightly. He always addresses it, but he was much more concerned to judge uh, what people, not not to judge what people had done uh, in the past, but to make sure that they had found forgiveness and were in relationship with him in the moment. Remember, Jesus knows the heart of mankind. Romans, or John chapter two. His wisdom and spiritual discernment were like no one else. He was able to expose the hypocrisy of those uh, who, who acted like though that they were better than everybody else and he could see reasons why some people, you know, uh, were worse than they should be. If, if they really were, wanted to be honest about their sin, that's where Jesus started. Just let me know. I'm, I'm here to help, he says. And isn't that how we all want to be treated? You see, Jesus saw Peter this way in John chapter one where it says, you Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, Peter, the rock. And then John gives us a look into Jesus, uh, how Jesus saw Peter, how he was in that particular moment, but he also showed us what kind of man he would become. He saw this you know, this, this rough and sensitive, spontaneous fisherman mentioned in, in Matthew chapter 14. He also saw Peter the apostle who was to become this strong and outspoken leader of the church that we get to read about all through the book of Acts. And the same could be said of Matthew, who he was hated by everyone, but Jesus saw a servant willing to give up his riches and to tell everybody about this rabbi, about Jesus. He did the same for John. And if you remember John and his brother James, they were hot, tempered men. And I think Jesus was kind of just playing with them. And they gave them, he gave them this, this, uh, this, this nickname, Sons of Thunder. That's what we're going to call you, Sons of Thunder. And John and James didn't appear to be promising leadership material in this passage, but Jesus saw their potential. And John the, the Thunderer became John the Beloved. And then it says in Matthew 9, he did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus knew that people could be transformed simply by hearing the word of truth. It didn't matter how it came to them, but that it came to them. Because people aren't going to be changed if they can't. Hear the spirit of God in their lives, talking to them, and know how matter small of a word that might be. Another characteristic is he didn't give up on people. Peter's a good example of the uh, that again. Simon, uh, uh, some would say that you know uh, Peter was just this bonehead. He didn't know when to shut his mouth, always trying to outdo everybody, always being in the spotlight. Always, you know, I'm going to jump in there first. That was Peter. Jesus didn't give up on him, but he stayed the course with him. Uh, This potentially great leader, he encouraged him along the way, and I'm sure he had those conversations along the way. I mean, can you imagine how Peter felt when Jesus told him directly, hey, Peter, I'm praying for you personally. There's a beautiful passage in Luke chapter 22 that I don't know that we, we, we spend, we really paid much attention to, but Jesus says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat. It's the same kind of thing that happened with Job. But it says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, it's kind of interesting. See, Jesus knew what was coming. When you you turn back, Peter, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew Peter was going to fall. He knew he was going to trip up. But he says, Peter, get yourself back up. And strengthen your brothers because a real brother in christ has spiritual discernment to see the real truth about a man and not focus on someone's real or perceived failures in life they see beyond the very things that we're all guilty of to see uh, how that person is going to or is making a difference in other people's lives by sharing the good news of jesus christ christ like love is always eager to believe the best right always hopeful always patient that's what Paul teaches in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And when God's word is being you know, verbally shared or shared, you know, by lifestyle, it says that his word, God's word, will never return void. There will always be, there will always be some good outcome. And one more thing about Jesus, he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave. Jesus prepared himself for ministry by spending 40 days and nights fasting in the wilderness and during that time he was tempted in the same ways that you and I have yet without sin. We talked about that a little last week. Matthew 4 and Hebrews 4. But Jesus spent his entire ministry looking for the best in the worst. He faced normal you know, human needs and yet exhausted himself for others without any kind of resentment, without any kind of arrogance but he graciously walked through all of the demands that people were throwing at him daily. He constantly gave of himself because that's who he was and that's what he did. And I wonder what he was uh, thinking uh, 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 on his way into Jerusalem for the last time before his his execution, before his crucifixion. Was he thinking about all the other people that he never got to meet, to heal, to feed, to serve? Jesus came to serve, and that's what he had been doing all his ministry. But he also came to surrender his life as a ransom for many. That was his ultimate purpose. He went through the cross when he didn't have to and once again he gave of himself for other people. That's where it all comes together at the cross when he gave the world his all. In Isaiah the prophet says in 53, because he poured out his life to death and was numbered with all of the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for sinners. And that's us. That was them, it's us and those in the future. And in that act alone, Jesus gave those needing salvation in his day, again, as well as those living in our 21st century today. And church, that's where we need to be going. We need to start spending what valuable time, what limited time we have on this earth in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And I honestly don't believe we spend near enough time sharing the love of Jesus, sharing the love of God. Earlier, I shared how my dad walked me, or walked with me as he taught me how to use that mower you know, safely and properly. And he encouraged me and he blessed me. He showed me you know, the way as, as we bonded together as father and son. But not only did my parents teach us how to be hard workers, uh, respectful to those in authority over us and enjoy life, they also taught us how to love people, serve the church and honor the Lord in all things. And when they taught us, and when you fall down, because it's gonna happen. When you fail, it's gonna happen. You get yourself back up, and you continue loving people, you continue serving the church, and you continue honoring the Lord. God set the example, Jesus set the example for us that it's possible for us to be able to do. He's not gonna ask us to do something that we can't. Jesus has shown us a way on how we interact with people, other people, and it doesn't matter who they are or where they came from. What matters most is that we treat all of mankind with the love that Jesus lived.
0: Thank you for tuning in. And if you want an opportunity to love the people that are in your neighborhood, then I want to make sure you don't miss this. We've got something called block parties that we do at NLCC. This is really just for people that are listening in the North Liberty, Walkerton area, South Bend area. Um, We do something called block parties. And really it's a resource that helps you to meet your neighbors. So what it looks like is you just apply to host a block party. And uh, you pick a date this summer, a, sa- a Friday or a Saturday, that you're able to do it. We bring you everything that you would need, including food, activities, silverware plates, uh, tables, everything that you would need to host a block party in your neighborhood. We've got you covered. Music, we've got it all. Uh, all you have to do is set it up, hang out with your neighbors for an afternoon, meet your neighbors, love on your neighbors, pack it all back up into a trailer, and we'll pick it up. So it's a really simple way but it's a great thing that you can do to meet the people that live in your proximity and to love the people that are around you. So if you wanna really put this message into practice on loving the people around you, we think this is a great opportunity for you to start that conversation with your neighbors. Thanks for listening in and participating and we look forward to doing this again with you next week.